If they're in range, they're probably watching. Uh, so we're going to talk today. Uh, I am honored to get to speak to you. Uh, the Bible says, by the way, Proverbs 3, to give honor where honor is due. That's why we always pray for Pastor Stan when he's gone. He's our pastor. We give him honor. That's why we do that. I'm sure grateful for the chance to speak on a Sunday morning. Uh, talking to God's people is something I'll never take for granted. Uh, leading worship for God's people is something I'll never take for granted, and I will do it uh, any place I get a chance to with a campfire, at a campfire with 10 boys in front of five people or 50 people or however. I just believe it's an honor to get to do anything like this. Um, and I won't take it for granted. Something I've talked to Pastor Stan recently about uh, is we just kind of figure out as a church how to make our way through this crazy time that our world is in is that we were created for a time such as this. That's in the Bible. We were created for this moment in this place with these people. I don't think many of us would call our current circumstances ideal. Um, if we are honest, we wouldn't, but God has us where he has us, when he has us, with whom he has us for a reason, Amen. right? Why did God choose us for this pandemic and not the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic <laughs> or, or some other crazy time? He chose us for this time, right? And he has us here for a reason. And what that means to me is that he's got something for us to do. He's got something for me to do. He's got something for you to do. Every single one of us, he's got stuff for us to do. I'm not saying that I understand it or that I know exactly what it is, but I believe down to the smallest detail that God knows what he's doing. Amen. Knows what he's doing in your life. Knows what he's doing in my life. I do know also that it's up to us to do what we know how to do, to use the gifts God has given us, uh, use the place God has given us, do it to the best of our ability, and we leave the rest up to him. Right? We do what we can do. We leave the rest up to God. Uh, my first six years in ministry, I've been working at a church every day as my job for uh, almost 17 years now. My first six years, I was a youth pastor uh, in Nepa. Almost 11 years here uh, working at this church. Uh, but man, youth ministry is awesome, and it can be incredibly rewarding. It can be incredibly challenging. It can be everything in between. Pastor Chase knows that. Um, even though that it was certainly what I was called to be doing, and I knew that from a young age, I knew that I was called to ministry, there were definitely days when I was a youth pastor where I wondered if what I was doing was really mattering. Mm -hmm. And we've all been there in our lives, like, is this thing that I'm doing, is this, is this worth what I think it's worth? You know, there were days at that church, um, and I worked there for six years, where we just worked our tails off and, like, no one showed up. Um, I, Sean and I got married, uh, I think, four and a half years into that, so she was with me the last year and a half. But there were days when my youth staff or Chandra, when she was there, we just worked so hard and nobody came. Or we worked so hard and everyone just gave you blank stares, you know. Um, there were days when there were a ton of kids. Uh, my last year there, we averaged about 130 kids on Wednesday night, or Thursday night, actually. And we had a bunch of other kids on Wednesdays for a Bible study. But um, it was awesome having all those kids. But there was a lot of nights when I was like, man, I don't know if these kids are getting anything out of this, and please don't bring the building down and get me in trouble. Like, that was, those were my two prayers, you know, um, that on those nights. But I can look back on those, and I can tell you multiple stories, and I'll, but I'll just give you two. One of those nights when I was like, man, why am I here? There's five people here. Uh, was right before Sean and I got married, the week before we got married. Uh, preached a sermon. Uh, my pastor really wanted me to do church the week before we left, week before we got married, because we're going to be gone for the honeymoon and stuff, so we did it. We're in this gym with no air conditioning, and it was hot, and I was just, like, wanting to get it over with, and it was rough. I'm sure it was terrible, whatever it was that I did that night, but uh, that night, kid, college kid, actually, wasn't even supposed to be there. We weren't supposed to have college kids in there, but he came and found me in tears, like, hey, can I talk to you in your office, and rededicated his life to God that night. He's in ministry to this day as a beautiful family because of that night. 
He's been here before, actually. That's Andrew. He's led worship here before. Um, incredible, incredible guy. And that night, I was like, man, I wish I wasn't here <laughs> the whole time. And God changed Andrew's life because of that that night. Uh, another opposite story, one of those nights when we had a zillion kids. Um, uh, a couple of years ago at camp, I, I, this kid came up behind me and just gave me this giant, a random kid. I didn't even know he was there. Came up and gave me this huge, giant bear, head, bear hug. I turned around, recognized him. And he said to me, I know I was a knucklehead, and I know I was a problem, but uh, what you did mattered, and I'm serving God today because of what we did in that youth group and, and, and what you did on those nights. So I want you to know that it mattered. And I tell you that so you know that what you are doing today matters. Amen. Even if it's discouraging, um, I believe we're going to look back on this time, and we're going to see that God's hand was in it. Yeah. I believe we're going to look back on 2020, supposedly the worst year of all time, and we're going to see that God's hand was in it. We're going to see it in our families, all that extra time you've gotten to spend with your kids and your husband or your wife. You're going to see it in your families. I believe it. I really do. I believe. I've spent a ton of time with my boys um, who are five and seven right now, and they were four and six most of the year, but I spent a ton of time with them. I believe they're going to look back on this, and they're going to think it was awesome. They got to hang out with dad so much. Um, where I believe we're going to see God's hand in our church. I believe we're going to see people that heard about um, God that wouldn't have otherwise, I believe we're going to see people that see that our, our church was consistent and continue to do the best we could to serve God the whole time, no matter what. I believe we're going to see it in our state and our country. I know it looks dark in the government sometimes and on the knees, but I believe we're going to see God's hand in it when we look back. Because that's who God is, right? He works all things together for the good of those who serve him. Again, I can't say exactly how, but God does not ask me to know all the answers. He asked me to use the gifts that I've been given, do it to the best of my ability to honor him. That's what he asked me to do. For me, that means loving and serving my family, right? That means getting up and taking my boys fishing on Friday morning um, when I would rather like sit at home and drink coffee and let them watch TV. <laughs> for me, like when it comes to my job, that means making sure for a while, all I was was making sure our live stream happened, right? The government said we couldn't have church. So um, fortunately, we were pretty well set up, but my whole job for a while was just making sure our live stream happened so people could hear about God. And there's people that come to this church now because they saw our live stream when we were shut down and they showed up when we were open and they're coming here now. Um, you know, when we get to have regular church, it's leading worship or speaking or helping people develop their gifts or doing whatever Pastor Stan needs me to do. That's what God has created me to do right now. And I don't have to know the end result. All I have to know is that God has given me a time such as this to do my best. That's the direction we're headed this morning with this message uh, as we talk about a new kind of love. It's our title, A New Kind of Love. Uh, as a society lately, I think we've talked a lot about what we wish other people wouldn't do. I wish that people wouldn't person wouldn't post that. I wish that guy wouldn't act like that. I wish those sports teams would play their sport instead of not play their sport. You know, we, we have a lot of stuff we wish people wouldn't do, but I believe, believe that it matters just as much that we talk about what we can do. Amen. What we can do. God commands us all over his word to love others to the best of our ability, and he doesn't qualify it. I found there's a lot of things in the Bible like that that God doesn't qualify. It's pretty black and white in a lot of areas. He says to love everyone, even our enemies, which that's one of the hard parts, right? In fact, Jesus says to pray for our enemies and to the, for those who persecute us. I find that not that easy to do. I don't know about you, but it's hard to pray for someone that I don't like. Our main scripture this morning, First uh, John chapter 2, verses 7 through 11. Uh, we're going to read it together. If you've been here on Wednesday, so when I've done the Bible study, we've been studying First John. 
And uh, I've been kind of saving this part for maybe a Sunday morning message and get to do it. Just a tiny bit of background on John. We've talked about this a bunch on Wednesday nights, but this is John the apostle writing this. So John, the disciple that was with Jesus, the Bible calls him the disciple who Jesus loved, also calls him a son of thunder. He wasn't afraid to say what needed to be said. He was the last living disciple, last one who'd seen Jesus alive of the disciples. Uh, The last one, he probably was the only one that wasn't executed. That's what they think. Um, And he was probably one of the last people, period, to have seen Jesus physically on earth. And he's writing this to the society in which he was living. Uh, Verse 7 of chapter 2 is where we're starting here. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. Friends, I would say it's all over the Bible that love is the mark of a genuine believer in God. In fact, John 13, 35 says, right, they will know us by our love. It's in the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, it's all over the place. Uh, The love of God and him asking us to love others. In the people that are my spiritual role models, it's really, really plain to see. Just give you a quick overview of a few of them. My pastor uh, in Seattle where where I went to school, uh, Daryl Elliott is his name. He just retired uh, from the church that I went to over there. He was just, he's just an incredible man. He he's, has a pastor's heart, a shepherd's heart. And uh, my last summer that I graduated from college and didn't know what I was going to do next, I knew that I really was, felt like I should move back here and be in ministry, but didn't have a job or anything yet. Didn't have a place to live up there. Wasn't sure what I was going to do. And he invited me to come live in his house for free. Gave me odd jobs around the church. Um, let me dog sit his golden retriever. And uh, he just spoke life into me all summer long. And I was close to him already, but stayed up late with me, uh, did projects with me, um, let me hang out at the church, he just spoke life into me. And I firmly believe I would not be in ministry today had he not spent that summer speaking life into me, just showing me uh, what his humility was, the humility of Jesus. Um, I see that in Pastor Stan all the time. I see him live out the love of Jesus all the time. You know, Pastor Stan literally is the only pastor I know that if you lock your keys in your car, you're supposed to call him, (laughs) right? Uh, And Pastor Stan, uh, we've been here tons of times working on something at the church or he's working on his messages for Sunday and one of you calls, you know, I locked my keys in my car, I got a flat tire, whatever, and man, he'll drop everything because that's the love of Jesus inside of him. I see that, a servant's heart in my pastor all the time. I see it in my dad uh, who... um, my dad's the guy you want in your corner uh, when you're having a hard time. Uh, my dad is generous to those who need it. Um, he's calm in hard situations and uh, just shows me the steady love of Jesus all the time. I saw it my granddad, he's passed away now about 10 years ago, who was one of my heroes in life, who was also incredibly generous, gay, <laughs> generous to a fault a lot of times, always there with an encouraging note or word. Um, I have a letter hanging up in my office that he sent me when I was in college in um, I was just looking at my transcript every day, and college was hard for me. I, I remembered uh, it was tough, but he would send me letters, and usually with a $20 bill in it, and just an encouragement from him, and I have it on my wall up there, um, and it just makes me think of him and how Jesus was in his heart and how he showed it to me every day, 
when I see his handwriting up there. You know, always, he was, the, he was the grandpa that, you know, we had a basketball game in high school. He'd drive you and your friends to and fro, so you were safe and always speaking life into you. But we've seen the love of Jesus in people that are our spiritual role models, right? Like in those examples, and I'm sure the ones that you're thinking of, love is our highest calling as Christians. Love's our highest calling as Christians. Today, I wanna talk about love in three different ways. Old Testament command, Old Testament command, a New Testament command, and as a way of life. So as an Old Testament command, that is number one. And we're talking about verse seven here. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Jesus himself, when challenged by the Pharisees in the New Testament, um, he quoted the Old Testament. We see this in Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. This is Jesus talking. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. You see, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, that was how they knew how to serve God is by following the law. Jesus quoted the Old Testament right at them. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Deuteronomy 6.5. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's Leviticus 19.18. Those guys would have had that thing memorized. A lot of times, I think we draw a stark line between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And we say that the Old Testament is all wrath and judgment and blood and guts and gore. And the New Testament is all grace and uh, the love of Jesus. And the truth is that you have to have one to have the other. They go together. Love is intertwined throughout both. You can't really have New Testament love and the forgiveness of Jesus without Old Testament love, but also, also, also understanding the wrath of God. Jesus quoting these two passages together, it tells us that there is an unbreakable link between obedience to God and loving our neighbor. If we're obedient to God, we love our neighbor. That's what John is saying here by noting that it's an old commandment. The people that John was writing to, writing this letter to, whether they were Jews or Gentiles, if they were Christians, they would have heard the commandments of the Old Testament. Like I said, they would have had the Pentateuch memorized probably with the first five books of the Old Testament. When these people that John was writing to became Christians, the first thing they would have learned is what the Old Testament said about loving, loving others, and they would have gone about putting it into practice. The Old Testament, when it came to following God, it was about following the law. If you were, if you were a Christian in the Old Testament, they didn't call it that, but if you were a Christian, um, it was about following the law. You've heard that law a ton of times. We probably even think sometimes that because Jesus came, it's not relevant any longer. That's a new age kind of weird thing that some people say is that, well, since Jesus came, you don't have to listen to the Old Testament at all, but you have to have one to have the other. Let's take a look at it quickly from Exodus chapter 20, just the Ten Commandments, just refresh, refresh your memory here. And an uh, interesting, interesting thing about the Ten Commandments, uh, this is the first time Moses went up, got the Ten Commandments, came back down, had them on the two tablets, but he brought the Ten Commandments down and the Israelites, while he was gone, had gotten fearful and made a golden calf to worship. And Moses got so mad that he broke them. And then he had to go up, get new tablets, have God make them again. But here's the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. 
you shall not covet. The reason I put the whole list up there, because, because is if you look at the list, more of those have to do with loving other people than they do with loving God directly, right? Six out of the 10 have to do with loving those around us, starting with uh, honor your father and mother on number five. They talk about loving your neighbor, loving other people. Now, in the Old Testament, the system was that in order to go to heaven, you needed to obey God's law. If you didn't obey God's law, there needed to be a sacrifice made for you so then you could be holy and pure. And also the priests, before they can make a sacrifice for you, they'd make a sacrifice for themselves. It was this big process that God had set out and there were certain animals you had to use at certain times. Um, Pastor Stan likes to talk about, you know, if the Old Testament was happening now and we were pastors of this church, sometimes we would go home be, and be all bloody because it was a hard day. You know, honey, sorry, it was a really tough day. The people were really sinful, had to, had to uh, sacrifice a lot of animals, right? It's kind of the way that it was. More than half of God's law had to do with loving others. Long before the golden rule that's in the New Testament uh, that we're familiar with, God said something similar to the Israelites. In, clear back in Leviticus uh, chapter 19, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. When these people that John was writing to became Christians, the first thing they would have learned is what the Old Testament said about loving others. And just like now, you could tell if they had Christ in their heart by their actions towards other people. It would be like, uh, well, so here in the Old Testament, God had to give these commandments because the people wanted to say they loved God and they followed God, but they did not want to do the loving other people part. They were being bad to the people around them, even down to their family members. So it would be kind of like this, right? This is an illustration kind of came up with. It would be like uh, if your car was broken down. Have any car people in the place? Pastor Chase is a car person, a few car people. If your car was broken down and I told you, hey, I'm a mechanic. I'm totally not a mechanic. Absolutely not. But um, I know just enough to get in trouble and call one of the other guys. Uh, but if your car was broken down and I said, hey, I'm a mechanic, I'll fix your car. Pay me some money, I'll fix your car. So you bring me your car and you tell me what's going on and I'm like, okay, and I have it for a couple days and I call you, hey, your car's done. You come get it. You drive off, you know, the check engine light still on, still making that funny noise it was making. Eventually it just stops working altogether. The light's dim, you know. You call me up, hey, I thought uh, you said you were a mechanic. Well, I am a mechanic. I mean, I don't actually know how to work on any cars, but I'm a mechanic. I decided I'm a mechanic. I mean, I know there's no proof that I'm a mechanic, but I am a mechanic. So yeah, I didn't do anything to fix the problem, but I did. I undid some bolts, and there was a belt that looked like it was in the way, so I just, you know. It's fine. I'm a mechanic. I say that I'm a mechanic, so I'm a mechanic. Right? It's a really cut and dry example, but that's what they were doing in the Old Testament. That's what we do sometimes. Well, I'm a Christian. I serve God. I am because I say I am because I said a prayer. And you are a Christian when you accept Jesus, but so often there's not any fruit in our lives, right? Well, well, I, I'm following God. Yeah, but why are you treating that person like dirt? You know, why are you saying that stuff? Why am I saying that stuff? Why am I thinking that stuff, right? I'm a Christian, so it's fine. I know God, so it's fine. Everything's permissible for me, right? You see the Israelites in the Old Testament, they would try a version of that same thing, just like we do. They'd call themselves followers of God, but then go steal their neighbor's livestock. Uh, you know, they'd say, I don't have any idols in my house, but then they'd be coveting the neighbor's wife. You know, coveting is, coveting is not just thinking something is great. Coveting is wanting something so much that you'll do anything to get it, and you'll go hurt other people to get it. Breaking this exact commandment is actually what caused David 
great pain when he stole another man's wife. You know, David, who killed Goliath with the sling, greatest king Israel ever knew. Man, after God's own heart, uh, experienced terrible heartache because uh, he stole another man's wife. That eventually led him to murder her husband and then try and hide the whole thing. And the son that he had with Bathsheba died because of the curse that was on him. If we're honest, you know, sometimes we roll the same way right now. Well, I'm a Christian, but uh, that person isn't annoying, annoying me. So I'm going to light him up and tell him that I think they're wrong, right? I'm a believer in God, except I don't like your opinion. So now we have to be at odds. I think you're wrong about the coronavirus or masks or riots or which sports team you like or the, the list is endless, right? But you see the command to love others is as old as life itself and living as a true Christian, living a true Christian life requires action on this front. Not just memorizing the 10 commandments, but it requires action. Which leads us to number two, a New Testament command. This is verse eight, yet I'm writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. This is where we begin to take it from words to actions. Um, to be sure, what we say matters. In person, what we say matters. Our words matter. I'm always trying to teach, talk Christina for as long as we could that our words matter. Um, you can't take stuff back uh, once you get it out. I'm t- trying to teach my boys that words matter. Um, this is kind of an aside. Uh, friends, the things that we say online and in text messages, they really matter. And... Uh, if I could just tell you one thing about it, it's that all of the nuance goes away when you are typing, when someone sees a status, right? By that, I mean they can't see your face and they can't hear your tone of voice. And you might say something you totally don't mean a certain way and they might perceive it a certain way. And the relationship can get broken so easily when it could have been a good conversation. Maybe they take it away you didn't mean. Even if you're posting a video and you think, well, they can hear my voice and they can see my face when they don't have a chance to respond, be part of the conversation it raises the emotional temperature, and it wrecks relationships that don't need to be uh, wrecked. Um, I was thinking of this, and I was reminded of back in the day when I was a youth pastor. Um, Chase, Pastor Chase has a great policy of having absolutely zero pranks at his camps, which is awesome. That's a great idea. Wish I had thought of it. Um, my thing was more, because I, I like to pull the occasional prank in college, so my thing was with the kids, like, don't prank me. Like, Prank someone else. Just why don't you come to me and I'll give you advice about how to do the pranks the best way. Just don't prank me. Leave me alone. Right? I just didn't want them to happen to myself. And uh, it, it worked most of the time until this kid. It was my last year there. Uh, he decided he was going to pull a big prank on me and it backfired on him. And he got a prank pulled on him. And there's a video of it on YouTube. And it's a long story. Um, but uh, the 10-year anniversary came up of it uh, a little while ago. You know, on Facebook, it tells you, this thing happened 10 years ago, right? And eventually, a picture you took or whatever. Well, this thing came up about this prank that had happened 10 years ago. And I went and watched the video. I will not tell you where it is because I just shouldn't. But uh, <laughs> um, I went and watched the video. And it was awesome for me to see because I saw all these 17, 18-year-old boys that were involved in this caper that this kid tried to plan. I saw them, you know, Back then, it was just so fun to see them, right? They were graduating before they got married and had kids and did all the stuff that they did now. And I posted something about it on Facebook. Man, this was an awesome memory or whatever. And the kid who'd been pranked, his mom messaged me right away, immediately. And she said, that was not funny. I see pain in my son's voice when I see that video, and it's not funny. And she was totally right. Like, I I was not posting it to make fun of him. I was posting it because I loved seeing those kids at that age and I was looking back fondly on pastoring those boys. 
But his mom didn't see that. She was right, so I messaged her, apologized, took it down, and um, it was a really dumb thing. And we, we showed the video at youth and all kinds of things back in the day. It was a really bad idea. Chase laughed at me for a service when I said that. Um, but just be careful of the stuff you post. People take it a different way than you think, right? Anyway, the Greek word that John uses for new when he's talking about a new command here is significant. He uses kainos, and I'm not a Greek scholar, but I like uh, some of this stuff really makes a difference. He uses the word kainos, which means something that is fresh for new, not kairos, which would mean something chronologically new. He's not saying this is something you've never heard. He's saying this is a new version of a thing you have heard. The newness isn't just found in the word, however. The newness is found in the illustration of love that Jesus gives us all through the New Testament. And it's described in this expression John uses in this verse, that its truth is seen in him, meaning the truth of it is seen in Jesus. The new or the fresh command comes from the example that Jesus sets for us. What Jesus demonstrated for us throughout the New Testament was a heart of humility in the heart of a servant. Like I said, that's what I see in Pastor Stan a lot of the times, the heart of a servant. Just before the events that would lead to his death, Jesus gathered with his disciples in an upper room with the 12 who had been with him throughout his earthly ministry. We know that Jesus had earthly ministry for about three years when he was walking around and healing people and teaching and preaching. Included in that 12 was a fisherman. There was a doctor, probably several fishermen, a doctor, a tax collector, a guy called the Zealot, among others. It was this group of 12 guys that went around with him. He made promises to his disciples that night because he knew what was about to happen to him. He said he would prepare a place in heaven for them. And he said, do not let your heart be troubled. He said that his peace would be with them. And again, he said, do not let your heart be troubled. He said he would send his Holy Spirit, the comforter. That by abiding in him, he would bring others to him. Those are all in John chapter 14 and 15, if you want to read about him. But Jesus displayed his love to them directly in a way that's incredibly humbling. I think you maybe have heard this scripture before. But let's read it together just in the light of Jesus showing how to love in, in a new way. This is um, John chapter 13, verses one through 17. I'm not sure if we have it on the screen or not, but you can uh, follow along on your phones, your Bibles. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath only, needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not every one was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to, the, returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. 
Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. The action of washing feet goes hand in hand with how Paul described Jesus later on in Philippians. Paul said this about Jesus. He humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. What Jesus did in the upper room showed us uh, the eternal heart of God, perfect love, perfect sacrifice, perfect humility. I heard it said uh, in a song this week, actually, that God's grace is free to us, but it was not cheap. It's free to us, but it cost him everything. It cost him his son. Humility is often a sign of change in our hearts when we accept Christ or when he speaks new things into our hearts. It's one of the best things is when someone accepts Jesus and they realize that their eyes are open to what's going on in their life and you, and you see their life begin to change and their heart begin to be humbled. And even as Christians, God speaks new things into us. God speaks new things into my heart and I realize, man, I've been messing that area up. I need to change, have some humility. I've talked about this passage lots of times over the years and there's a ton of sermons in there, but it's always struck me how dirty of a job uh, washing feet is. Now, uh, all of us hopefully took a shower or a bath or whatever sometime recently. Personally, I took a nice long shower this morning. My feet are clean, nice clean socks, but I probably couldn't pay you guys $100 to touch my feet on the way out the door. So here's my feet, wanna wash them? Like, it just wouldn't happen. Feet are kind of gross and weird, especially my wife makes fun of my feet because I have a toenail that looks all weird. And I just, it's like my dad's toenails, so I just figure it runs in the family. Um, there's been times literally where I like touched her leg with my foot and she's like, do you have shoes on? But I didn't have shoes on, she has the calluses on my feet, right? Feet are gross things, right? Um, even more back then, see now we have shoes and paved roads and running water back then, they didn't have running water paved roads. They had sandals and dirt, right? So when you came into someone's house, the first thing that happened was the lowest servant had a towel around their waist and they knelt at your feet with a basin of water and they washed your feet off. It was the lowest thing you could do when, uh, it, uh, lowest job you could do in someone's house. Jesus made himself the lowest person in the room by doing that. He's willing to have that humility and that servanthood, which um, it's mind-blowing to me and, and striking that he did that. But even more mind-blowing is that Jesus washed all of the disciples' feet. If it had been me, I probably would have only done 11 because Judas was there, right? And he knew what Judas was gonna do. Mm-hmm. The Bible says he knew that Judas was gonna betray him. Judas was gonna betray him with a kiss to the authorities and it was gonna lead to his painful and horrible death. But he washed his feet anyway. If that's not an example of a new kind of love, of servanthood and humility, I don't know what is. Right? Washing the feet of someone who you know is gonna hand you over to be killed. Imagine if we were doing something here, maybe handing out free food or something like that at the church to those who needed it, and somehow we knew that someone we gave free food to was gonna come back later, smash all our windows, and take all our stuff. Now, if we just read this, maybe we would do it anyway, but it would be tough, right? (laughs) To give them something, even though we know they're gonna come back and hurt us later on. But that was the perfect humility that Jesus brought, right? The fresh perspective on love. Don't we do that in our lives, right? It's hard to hand out servanthood and grace to people because we're afraid that they're gonna hurt us later on. The second half of the verse says that the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. To be honest, it's a little hard to see it that way right now. If you go um, look at the news or whatever after church, uh, you might not see a ton of light 
At best, it might seem like the light is coexisting with the darkness sometimes. But the truth of God's word is that the light will increasingly defeat the darkness until every knee bows and every tongue confesses. Amen. Right? And that's just not a random guy coming up with that. That's in the word of God. It might not look that way right now. We sing this song, Waymaker, even when we don't see it, he's working. We talked about it earlier. We're going to look back and see God's hand in all of this. But eventually, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Amen. All we can decide is whether we love or whether we don't. We don't get to decide how they take it, whether they return it to us, whether they treat us well. All we can decide is whether we do what Jesus commands us to do and if we follow the example that he set for us, metaphorically washing others' feet. Which brings us finally to number three, love as a way of life. Anyone who claims to be, this is verse nine through 11, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. This is the litmus test for us, friends, when it comes to our faith in Jesus. The presence of love is a sure sign of the transforming power of Jesus in our lives. And conversely, it says if you don't have it, you're in the darkness. If you don't have love and you say you're a Christian, you're lying, is what it's saying. We're not fitting this kind of love into our lives. Instead, it's the other way around. We're fitting our lives into this kind of love. We're saying, what stuff in my life equals this kind of love? And that's what I'm going to keep doing. The stuff that doesn't, I should maybe stop. This kind of love is patient and kind, not just, not just to those who deserve it. Uh, I'm certain that sometimes I'm not... I'm not the person who deserves love that is patient and kind. In John the Apostle's day, in the society to whom he was writing this, there was religious leaders and teachers, those Pharisees that we talked about, who claimed a higher knowledge of God, but the love of God was absent in their lives. They could recite the Old Testament to you all day long, but there was no proof of the love of God in their life. However, the early Christians, many of them were slaves, servants, or just regular hardworking people like you and I. And they not only loved and served one another, but also those who were in opposition to them. Verse 9 and 10 here are incredibly challenging. It says this, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there's nothing in them to make them stumble. I think we've sufficiently proven that Loving others and living in humility and servanthood, that's the example Jesus set for us. We just read an incredible story about that. Um, But there's kind of a sticky part um, because if we love God and we obey his word, part of loving others is not causing them to stumble. And all over the New Testament, that word stumble is used in in conjunction, is what I'm trying to say. (laughs) The word stumble is used in conjunction and can even be interchangeable with the word sin. Stumble and sin can be interchangeable in the New Testament. What that means is that those who say they truly love others as a reflection of their love for Jesus, they will not cause others to sin. They will not cause others to sin. You know, the rest of this stuff we're talking about is somewhat philosophical, right? We can sit here and we think, man, I should, like, be nicer to the people around me. Those people that um, I don't like talking to, I should be nicer to them, right? We can sit here and we can, we can think that, and that all sounds well and good, but... Um, Now we're starting to mess with the stuff that we want to do. We're starting to talk about um, the things we do that might not actually be hurtful for us, but are hurtful for somebody else. Um, Do we have any uh, 90s people, anyone that grew up in the 90s in the house? 
Christina, thank you for not raising your hand. My daughter raised her hand for service. She did not grow up in the 90s. Yeah. I was, uh, I grew up in the 90s. I was born in 1979. I was a teenager in the 90s. And uh, I loved 90s rock and roll music. I, I still like it. Um, and I'll never, I told First Service this, I'll never forget the day when I like, was driving in my 86 Blazer and I discovered 100.3 The X. That's the radio station. It's this like, you know, the guy's voice is like 100.3 The X, right? And I made it number five on my buttons. And whenever my parents were in the car, I definitely did not put that one on. And I'm sure they knew the entire time. They weren't dumb. Um, but I love that music. It's, you know, just to give you some reference, not saying go listen to it, because it's actually not the greatest, but, you know, Green Day and Stone Temple Pilots and Nirvana, all that stuff from the 90s. And uh, that comes on. Sometimes the radio, I'll be flipping stations, you know, and it'll come on. And I just, it's nostalgia for me. Like, I remember high school. I remember basketball and football. And just, you know, I just remember it being fun. Unless my boys are in the car, then I cannot lunge for that button fast enough to get it off the radio because of stuff that's in that songs, right? I'm sure you can repeat that for other decades too, but that's the one that speaks to me. Um, the thing is, like I said, my highest calling is to be a dad to those boys. Amen. God gave them to me, and it's my job to shepherd them and show them who God is. Is there a Nirvana song going to send them to hell? Probably not, but it's not the greatest thing for them to hear right now. So for that reason, I launched for that button. It doesn't hurt me at all. I can hear smells like teen spirit. It does not bother me. But for them, it might, right? And you'd think at five, or set, five and seven, they would not be able to understand the lyrics, but they can. Just an example, right? We have things in our lives that they don't hurt us, but are they going to cost someone else to be farther from God? We got to ask that question. I'll tell you what, having kids has really sharpened my focus in that area. In the motions of my life, in my language, uh, I've never been someone that swears, but I've even uh, changed the thing. I don't I try to say, oh my gosh, anymore, because it's too close to things I don't want my boys to say. Yeah. <laughs> so I come up with other stuff. Um, yeah, when I'm watching sports, a lot of times I'll turn the TV off because I do not want my boys seeing those commercials because they're awful, Amen. right? Yeah. I love listening to sports talk radio. There's uh, programs I will not listen to because of what, what the roads those guys might go down when they stop talking about sports and start, start talking about something else. And that's just the example that's real in my mind. Um, and it's real easy for me to do, right? I can put on a, I can put it on Air One or I can put it on my phone or whatever. Um, we can listen to something else. One thing I love about Pastor Shan is that he is not shy to talk about biblical perspectives on tough subjects. For example, drinking alcohol. I love that about him. And there's people probably that don't go to our church because of something he said that's so black and white. But I don't mind that at all Same. when it comes to that. I, I'm pretty well aligned with him on that particular issue. And I see a lot of the same stuff in the word of God that he does. And um, I'm not going to stand up here and tell you I can have, tell you a hard and fast policy, but I can tell you what I've seen. And I can have a conversation with you about what I've seen and where I think it leads and all that stuff. I know this, the waters can get really deep and endless when we start trying to litigate every issue. Even as a pastor, right, if I'm just going to stand up here and tell you, well, this is how you should think on this, and this is how you should think on this, this is how you should think on this, it's nuanced. Depends on your family and your upbringing. It depends on so many things, not just drinking, but all sorts of important stuff. But I can tell you this, and we talked about this on Wednesday, there's a lot of black and white in the Bible. There's not a lot of gray area. And also that for his disciples and for us, Jesus bottom lined it during that same night in the upper room that we've been talking about, John 13, 34, says this, a new command I give you, 
Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. The way he loved us is he went to the cross and died for us, right? We can apply this to any and every situation. You know, in my situation, it doesn't bother me to listen to that. It might bother someone else. A new command I give you. You know, Lord, this person's political opinion is ridiculous, and it's the opposite of what I think, and they're obviously wrong. A new command I give you. Love one another. Lord, that person, they think that we should all live in a bubble because of coronavirus, and they're obviously crazy. And I should go tell them that. A new command I give you. Lord, that person, they think coronavirus is an alien conspiracy, and that aliens gave it to us all. Obviously, I should go tell them they're a dummy. A new command I give you, right? I told first service, as, as I was going over this last night, I ran across uh, a video from a guy in a band, a Christian man that I respect, and he was giving his 10-minute opinion about alcohol, and it made me so mad, I wanted to, like, burn the keyboard up. I was so mad. <laughs> but it wouldn't help. The guy doesn't know me. A new command I give you. You know, a little bit of this substance or doing this thing or it doesn't hurt me. A new command I give you. If we're following what Jesus told us in the New Testament, none of that affects, none of those things we just mentioned affects how we love, how we love others. We might not like it sometimes, but it's right there in those red letters with John 13, 34. When we frame it this way, then not causing others to sin is a way that we love, then our perspective begins to shift. You know, just like anything, we could, we could get legalistic. We could say we can't do anything just in case someone has struggled with that, you know, sins because of it. But instead of being legalistic as Christians, I believe, we ought to wade into those tough questions and we should try and answer them together. Yeah, alcohol is a hard thing because it doesn't say not to drink it ever in the Bible. But instead of being legalistic and mean to each other, let's wade into it and solve it together. Amen. Yeah, whether to wear masks and whether the coronavirus is real and um, all of, the, all of the, uh, the racial tensions, those are big deals. Let's wade into it and figure it out together. Amen. Figure out how to not help others around us stumble Amen. because of our opinion. No matter what, we can stay grounded by asking the question. And Pastor Stan has asked this lately. He said from up here, is this helping bring others to Christ or is it not? Is the thing that I'm doing and saying, is it helping bring others to God or is it not? And if it isn't, I should think about not doing it. <clears throat> and that's how uh, we, begin to we begin to live with love as a way of life. And I'm not saying, you know, with alcohol specifically, if you take a drink that you're sinful, that is between you and God. And that's all over the Bible. That's between you and God. But sometimes we do have to be willing to ask a hard question. Am I willing to give this thing up in order for someone to know Christ or to know him better? You know, am I willing to give up my 90s music for my boys to have a pure heart for as long as they can? Amen. I want to close with this scripture, which I think is one of the most poetic in the whole Bible. This is Paul writing it a little bit later on. First uh, Corinthians 13, 4 through 7 and 12 through 13. We won't read the whole chapter because it's kind of long, but I'm going to read just a little bit of it to you in the message translation because I think it sums it up well. It says this, love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut, doesn't have a swelled head, doesn't force itself on others, isn't always me first, doesn't fly off the handle, doesn't keep score of the sins of others, doesn't revel when others grovel, takes pleasure in the flowering of the truth, puts up with anything, 
trusts God always, always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps going to the end. We don't yet see things clearly. We're squinting in a fog, peering through a mist, but it, but it won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright. Amen. We'll see it all then, we'll see it all as clearly as God sees us, knowing him directly just as he knows us. But for right now, until that completeness, we have three things to do to lead us toward that consummation. Trust steadily in God, hope unswervingly, and love extravagantly. The best of the three is love. I love that translation because it says love extravagantly. The word extravagant means to exceed what is reasonable or appropriate, to lack restraint in how much we give. And that's what Jesus did when he washed Judas' feet, even though he knew what would happen. And that's what God is asking us to do, to lack restraint in how much we give, how much grace we give others. Jesus has loved us extravagantly by giving his life. We're to do it too. Even if that means not doing something we wish we could do. So what is a new kind of love? It's loving others with our actions. We follow those commandments. One through ten. You can't do the first four without doing uh, five through ten. We love others with a servant's heart. We metaphorically wash others' feet. We love others by doing our best not to cause them to sin. We ask that tough question when we have to ask it. Now, would you bow your heads this morning as we get ready to close? If you're here today, you hear us talking about Jesus. And, uh, if you're honest, you don't have him in your life and you wish you did. Maybe you're here today. It's the first time you've heard about it. Maybe you're here and you're, you're far from God and you want to come back to him today. You want to accept that grace that Jesus gave that he brought by dying and rising again. If you're here today and that's you, you want to accept Christ, would you just raise your hand really quickly so we can pray together? Don't see any hands. Um, as Pastor Stan always says, if that's something that you want to do later on, it's a simple prayer in your car on the way home. You can accept Christ. With our heads still bowed, if you're here this morning, and uh, you, if you're honest, you would say, I do need to better do a better job at loving others uh, with what's in my heart and in my actions, uh, leading them towards God and how I love. Would you just raise your hand this morning so we can pray together? My hand's up, has been all week as I've been working on this stuff. Let's pray together as we close. Jesus, thank you for your word. Um, that it's true and that uh, it's alive and it's sharp as a two-edged sword. Thank you, you've given it to us and you've made us for a time such as this. I pray that you would just uh, convict and poke in each one of our hearts just as you've done with me this week. Uh, the things we should and shouldn't do, the things we should and shouldn't say, the things we should and shouldn't post, Lord, we know you care about all of that. I pray you'd help this church and every person that's in this place this morning uh, be attuned to what you would have us do, um, how we can love, how we can serve, how we can wash the feet of our community and our family and those around us. Lord, I pray that we would be people who have the whole package, who we say we honor you and then we live it out with our actions. Uh, Lord, that you would move on every person this morning to love people better and by doing so, honor you. Praise things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Friends, thank you for coming today. We're so grateful that you came to church in the middle of the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, Pastor Stan will be here on a Wednesday. He's on his way back as far as I know. So 7 o'clock Wednesday, celebrate him being back and we'll do our normal church on Wednesday night. Thank you for coming. It's a great day to be here. Thanks.